Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. How does that plant taste? Keep talking if you want to find out. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 205, a.k.a. The Octopus, is brought to you by Mystery Woman Piano Repair. From chopsticks to matchsticks. <laughs> well done, Pete. I can't believe that here we are starting the middle third, give or take, of Jessica Jones. This, unlike what Jessica Jones drink, has been a season that uh, goes down smooth, goes down easy, and uh, I don't wake up with a headache in the morning. With that, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what this episode is all about. The episode opens with Jessica Jones still in jail. It's still a crappy frame job. Cut to mystery woman burning IGH files and bloody clothes. Later, with the mystery woman, she has a new wig and is preparing her new self-taught piano courses. She's pretty good. Someone neighborly knocks on the window, then the door. Mystery woman looks terrified of the new mom, but is eager to hold her baby. Yikes, it's as tense as a ticking time bomb. The baby cries and mystery woman's playing gets worse. Mom leaves and the mystery woman trashes the Hallis Davison Company piano. Later, she's seen burning the piano. Back to Jessica we go and her lawyer has arrived. It's Jerry, who notes that this probation violation doesn't look good. Ultimately, Jerry is alienated by the brash Jess and bounces. Bouncing out is Trisha's lunch, by the way, vomiting posts that inhaler high. Her mom thinks that she's off the wagon, but we know it's something more sinister. But aren't moms great? This one even bailed her out and stuff. She's also ready for the PR boost. ZCN wants to meet. Today. Jess uses her phone to call Malcolm. She gets an update about the lost IGH files while, get this, apologizing to Malcolm. She tasks him with finding out everything about Inez. Later, she coughs up info to the police, the picture of the mystery woman and their history at IGH. She's ready to talk more. Time goes on, and it's a lot for the police department to process. Jerry looks unwell, side effects of the medication. The police department has some pics of a mystery woman, though Detective Sunday says she thinks JJ is on a team. She knows how you people like to team up. Detective Costa has more faith. He remembers what Kilgrave did to the precinct, and his nightmares stopped when Jessica took out Kilgrave. Outside, Jessica asks for one of Jerry's safe houses, for Inez. Then they're confronted by an apoplectic Price Cheng, who's had his ball taken away. Well, and Nick died, to be fair. Jessica curses him off, promising to solve the case. Meanwhile, Malcolm grills Inez, and he's got questions. He takes the big chair, in fact. Later, Jessica returns to a cleaner office, a new computer, and a liquor shelf. Malcolm has information. Janitor Dave somehow took the fall for the death of Inez's nurse partner, the one killed by the mystery woman. Malcolm, newly labeled as an alias investigations associate, is tasked with bringing Inez to the safe house, but she's already split. Malcolm catches up with her, trying to hawk his TV for cash. He takes her back, though, minus the TV... Jessica goes to see Oscar, who is still Team JJ. He's even on her team enough for him to forge some therapist ID documents. On the way out, she gets a call from Griffin, who needs her to see Trish at an address ASAP. Cut to Trish meeting ZCN and Uncle Tim 
and the guy on the guitar talking about bended knee. Griffin is there to propose in front of her friends and family. It's the best marriage-related Marvel TV episode we've seen this month. And she says, thank you? Turns out Griffin wanted to keep it a secret, including hacking into our list of contacts. See, he's a great lad. Later, though, we find out that she's called off the engagement and off-screen to boot. She doesn't want to be with him. She wants to be him, the cable news crusader. Mom suggests some uh, lascivious things about her daughter and gets a well-earned slap in the face for it. Mom leaves, then Trish takes a huff from the inhaler. To Jerry we go, surprised to hear Jessica has an associate in Malcolm. Inez is handed off, mean as ever. Later, Inez is all showered and bathrobed, and the scene feels icky, not because Jerry's a lesbian, but because she's profoundly selfish. But it's not that kind of selfish. She wants to know more about IGH and those DNA experiments. Back to the apartment building, Abuela says Jessica is pretty, and she's invited to stay with Oscar and company for more than a fake ID, dinner, and spinata. She leaves, taking note of a functional family. She ends up getting buzzed in no problem at a psychiatric hospital. David is brought in while he colors his pictures. Jessica asks about Luann, his hospital job, and his having brought Luann home to hold her so tight that she just stops screaming. He just doesn't remember it all. But back to that picture. It's of an octopus, which has unique DNA, lives alone, and, hey, octopus DNA. Dr. Carl told him lots about that. David is asked to draw a picture of him with Dr. Carl. Later, Jessica is at the aquarium, calling Detective Spano to tell him who killed Luann, helping him connect the dots. The story stays in the aquarium, where Jessica has a picture of the silver ponytailed, bespectacled Dr. Carl. She notes an octopus lets go of wounded arms, lets go of dead weight. Time passes, and Jessica lingers and lingers and lingers finally seeing the silver-haired, bespectacled octopus lover. She gets flashes from her past, remembering him from her own time in the hospital. A woman meets him, they kiss, and it's the mystery woman. Then he sees Jessica saying her name. The mystery woman smashes the glass of the aquarium, her eyes wild. People run, the glass cracks, cut to black as water rushes in to end the episode. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, where will we begin? Let's begin with Janet McTeer's captivating mystery woman. Well, you hit the nail on the head with captivating. We have her, you know, we we have this extra story time with her that nonetheless sheds no light, but gives us insight into her. Uh, Nonetheless, this, you know, the... The, uh, the patience and focus it requires to to uh, play the piano and then just that terrifying scene where she's holding the baby and, you know, oh. you're, I mean, it's completely uncomfortable. Um, then her smashing the, 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 the piano there and just clearly somebody who's who's unhinged, who wants solace, but is also hiding out in in public. I wondered if we were going to see some violence towards that child. I was very, very much concerned uh, with that. And thankfully, it did not come to pass. But holy smokes, man, here's this. And you're you're trying to 
I, I think the viewer wants to attach more backstory only because of the nature of the scene. And they're like, all right, who's this, who's this woman knocking with, with the baby? Okay. The story she's telling me I can accept, but her imposition on mystery woman here to bring the baby into the home. And you're like, all right, is this going to reveal something more about the character? Did she lose a child too? You know, what, what, what's the story there? And then, when the music's not playing and the child is fussing and then she's trying to start the music up again, you're like, Oh, don't do it to the baby. And thankfully she did it to the piano, the baby grand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, again, I kind of marvel, no pun intended. I marvel at the notion that we, we got character insight, but no backstory out of it. I mean, it's a character that we, we didn't learn more about, but we learned more about, and that's a really, really fine line that they walked. They did it nonetheless. Uh, I mean, echoed, I think at the end where clearly there's a, there's an emotional and physical intimacy that she has with Dr. Carl. Um, but then as soon as she sees the competition question mark, I don't know exactly how we're supposed to read her reaction to Dr. Carl recognizing Jessica, but just that immediate, you know, smash the big aquarium window and destroy as much as possible as they run yeah. out of there. I mean, it's like this woman is even more of a psychopath than I thought at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And um, obviously you're doing this on a TV budget. So the idea that she's going to smash it and we're going to see this empty out like Mission Impossible from 1996, even on a Netflix TV budget backed by Marvel. I'm sorry that that's not going to happen. So, you know, when we're talking about the next episode and there are, you know, 12 gallons of water that suddenly come rushing by, understand it's not going to be the 12 million that are in the New York City Aquarium. (laughs) That's that's a good point. And I liked I mean, yes, it is almost certainly for financial reasons that they didn't show the aquarium breaking. That being the case, I liked the the style of it that we, you know, mm-hmm. we, we get it breaking in the episode. It's just after they've cut to black. So it's just this, you know, it's this scary moment. Now flip side. And that's where my screeners ran out. Oh, okay. Geez. So that was the last episode that was screened for critics. So that's where they left you. Okay. So at a, a natural point of, uh, highest, uh, you know, concern, there you are. I wonder if that high end wig would, would hold up to, uh, to an aquarium uh, leaking onto it. But I digress. Um, yeah, I have every expectation that when I watch episode 206, we're going to see, you know, Jessica Jones, you know, like kelp in hair, flap, <laughs> flappy fish next to her. As, Octopus on her head. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, again, with with 12 single gallon buckets of water having been just splashed at her and around her to, to get the effect. And and that's OK. Absolutely. That's the nature of the beast. But I, I think in McTeer, who in her native British accent, we saw at the Paley Center talking about the nature of British TV and getting all of the scripts all at once and wanting to know her whole story and her whole arc and here to be doing it on what begins as an American TV show and then goes all over the world. 
again, because of the nature of, of Netflix and, and Marvel, uh, these dribs and drabs, these tastes of this character and that we're five episodes in and we still, other than a patient and now this relationship of some sort with Dr. Carl and the ability to play a piano, we know nothing about her and we want to know more and it keeps us coming back. And I know we've said this before, but it's worth repeating uh, we still don't have a big bad for this season. And here we are five episodes in, and that's not a complaint at all. Um, I, you know, this is a season that because of Kilgrave out of the way and because, you know, that was what it needed to be season one, season two, we're able to get to this detective aesthetic and think of those great detective stories, whether they're, you know, written or in the movies or whatever. So many times it's, hey, here's a case. And you just start pulling on that string and pulling on that string. And it's not until you're, three quarters of the way through or farther that you realize, you know, you realize really what you're up against versus, you know, an army movie. It's the people with our flag on, uh, you know, the good guys wear our, <laughs> our flag patches and the bad guys wear the other ones. And, and it's that clear cut. So we're really mimicking that detective aesthetic where she's just investigating her past and that's leading to all these different things. And we have yet to get to, you know, and I am Dr. IGH himself, your father, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, we're just not there yet. And that's okay. And then when we talk about uh, a, a different type of villain in this episode and a different type of villainy with uh, Dorothy Walker. <laughs> I mean, you can certainly applaud her desire to help her daughter find happiness, stable marriage, things like that. I think that I have a lot more sympathy for Dorothy in the proposed ZCN meeting, which ends up being the proposal. I have a lot of sympathy for Dorothy's actions there. Um, where it all washes away again is, you know, is the mother accusing her daughter of, of uh, you know, of, of bringing on um, uh, intimate things with Max and just kind of, again, washing the, the age, the age differential from, from Trisha's past, washing that away, making that sound to be a case of equals. And then, Oh, she's kind of gone back asking for more, which is just, I mean, hideous at any, at any time and twice as hideous through the current focus of me too. And all of that, that, uh, it's 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 the worst. It's it's the worst I could imagine. Her, you know, in terms of her resume as a mother, it's the worst. And done in a particularly manipulative way. So this is a this is a trophy engagement, and a trophy future son-in-law, and that's what Dorothy sees. Is she sees marketing she sees branding through her daughter so what does she use to manipulate her daughter that her daughter ultimately resents and it's the reason she does not accept the uh engagement is that she doesn't want to be with griffin sinclair she wants to be griffin sinclair and that her mother used oh well zcn you know, his his network wants to talk to you. And that's the thing that motivates her to go to this as she's coming down off this inhaler drug that she then uses later on. And Dorothy pays no mind to 
what she believes is her daughter having fallen off the wagon of 10 years of sobriety from drugs and alcohol. Oh, you know, you're using again? No big deal. Clean up your face, wipe your nose, put on a red dress, you know. Let me then do all that you just described, Pete, of, you know, lead you along with a job thing to get you the home, that happy home life and all of that. It's just, it is, it is so sick and so twisted. And, you know, there's a certain argument to be made that she's a bigger villain in this episode than the mystery woman who, let's see, scares, mystery woman scares a lady, destroys a piano. Okay, I guess the aquarium thing is probably objectively worse. But before that aquarium scene, all she was was just a weirdo who wanted to be left alone. Dorothy is actively, you know, manipulating her daughter and trying to trying to pull her legs out from under her. Yeah, and we we've known Dorothy for you know these one and a half, one and a third seasons to this point, and to see what she was like with Trish, her Patsy as a as a child, to have this reconciliation and that's because Trish is largely a good person you know her struggles with aside and now to have her mother you know be allowed back into her life where, where she, she was keeping her at arm's length that she didn't tell Jessica initially that that brunch privileges had been restored and now where her mom is attempting to further manipulate her life and career this is going to be your husband this is what you're going to do etc etc um and and look at the response it it pushes trish into a vulnerable place where she uses this illicit substance well which i think begs the question then do we include trish on this list of suspects i mean I think there was uh for lack of a better phrase i think there was kind of probable cause for when she when she took the inhaler the first time, you know, powered friend upstairs, powered villain maybe upstairs, have to go in and help. Um, here now she seems to be using to just simply push the pain away or to increase her strength by which there's less pain, you know, that sort of thing. Is she a suspect, Pete, on some level? No. No. Oh. Well, then, how about Jerry? And not for her sexual orientation, but there was a really... I picked up a vibe when Malcolm dropped Inez off where it was this very like you know, Jerry as the, 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 the guardian at the door letting Inez in and then, you know, kind of a certain, uh, a certain mental thud as the door closed. And then later when we see, you know, Inez, she's gotten a shower, she's in a bathrobe and the show is well served to not turn Jerry into, you know, Hey, come sit in my lap kind of thing. But right. There's a certain degree to which Jerry is trying to woo this woman, perhaps not not you know sensually, but trying to woo her into, all right, now that you feel comfortable in this you know lap of luxury, now tell me everything about how um, how what you know about IGH and those experiments can be used to service me and my uh, ailment. Exactly, and we're recording this one day after the death of Stephen Hawking from ALS, so never has the potential to live longer than the diagnosis been more discussed. I mean, you, you look at the diseases known as Lou Gehrig's disease because of the rapid way in which 
he declined. This is a guy who was known in baseball for his longevity. The Iron Horse was his nickname, and he had to retire as a result of it, of the rapidly declining skills. And here's a woman in Jerry who lays it out in this episode. What is is it she's losing? And it's everything. She is estranged from her family. Um, now the medicine is, is making her ill and making her lose that steely resolve that we can always come to expect. It, it felt we've had kind Jerry in the previous episode, which was super creepy. And this was nauseous, uh, not able to, to have her stuff together, Jerry, which might've been even more unsettling. It's amazing the job these writers have done with making me feel sympathetic for a character we rarely ever trust. And given that Jerry is trying to manipulate in as to in an attempt to to wrangle this disease, I mean therein lies the sympathy. If it was some sort of you know, some sort of ill-timed um you know, physical overture, uh, obviously we would not be sympathetic to that, but I mean, how far would you go to preserve your, you know, to preserve the, the, the sanctity that is your body, particularly when you look at something like ALS, showing somebody the kindness of your home in exchange, in a behind the, or in an after the fact, uh, quid pro quo for give me as much information as possible to keep me healthy. I mean, that's completely believable. I dare say completely I mean, not just kind of like understandable. We might not all have a, a home like Jerry Hogarth's, but I think any one of us would let somebody sleep in the spare bedroom if it meant beating ALS personally. There is no subtext if Inez is a male and that she's stashed not at a safe house, but at Jerry's home and she is a woman and Jerry is uh, preferenced towards women sexually that it, it gives that subtext. And like you said, if it was preying upon to become some kind of way to, to get what she needed, it would, it would play wrong and it would be outright manipulation. Um, but that it's the elephant in the room, but it never goes any further, I think is just great tension. Cause I think a lot of us were like, all right, here's this woman in, in the bathrobe and now she's cleaned up and she's talking about the sheets and we've seen Jerry, you know, go to the dark side earlier this season with the three women she brought back to her home and then resent them and, and kick them out. Um, so I, I just thought it was effective in, in terms of the way it was staged. Last one for me and a small one. Pete, Detective Sunday, who knows how you people like to team up? <laughs> yeah. Um, not the way to phrase that. I love that she's called back on the you, you people. <laughs> Certainly, I mean, a common thread from a lot of the Marvel Netflix stuff when there's been dealings with police and the opportunity to look at some of the real world stuff is they're always willing to inject a little of that, but it's never kind of this, you know, like detective Sunday being a woman of color. It, it's got just enough of that kind of, you know, and I don't want to quite say like sci-fi because that's not the case or comic books. That's not the case here, but it's got enough of that fictional spin where you go, Oh, wait a minute. We're looking at our world for a split second, but it's with a different kind of combination of things here. So kudos to the show for always keeping it, uh, keeping it fresh and current. 
Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, where do things begin? Let's start with uh, Trish getting sick, different effects from the inhaler that she took from Simpson, this enhancement. Its effects, she notes, are different. What's the story here? Um, I'm going to guess that particularly since we keep saying DNA, 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 uh, that inhaler, we're going to learn, uh, my bet would be, uh, you know, was specially made for him and for his, whether it's his DNA in particular or, you know, somebody like him versus somebody like her or whatever that means in the world of, I don't know, comic book, <laughs> uh, you know, inhalable steroids. And it's going to be, you're chasing this thing and maybe you're getting some of it, whether it's the strength, the speed, whatever, but it's not meant for you. And, um, I mean, there's all the story potential for it to, to be destructive, for it to be addictive and things like that. Time will tell where it goes. But yeah, I think for right now it's, it's not meant for her. That's why it's not working the way she expected it to. What about Matt, when we talk about Griffin and uh, the engagement and the explanation, oh, well, I hacked Trish's computer for all of her contacts. Do you believe that? Um, I am inclined to believe it in part because I don't know how many more episodes Griffin is in. Let me put it like that. If Griffin was the... You know, in the writer's room when they're putting the index cards up on the whiteboard, if he's a thing for story for the first five episodes and he's a ramp or a wedge or whatever shape metaphor you want to use, if he's a thing by which we can see Trish go from stable to unstable or Trish go from coupled to single or self-reliant or reliant on him to self-reliant, whatever it might be, perhaps he's just limited to that story function and if if they threw in some weird, creepy stuff that we that then turns out to be wrong, I mean, let me put it this way, Pete. Is it hand of the writer a bit that now that's all been explained away? Sure. Here's the flip side. I like that they, I like that potentially he might not be in another episode and he was just a really good guy the entire time. He was a great, you know, he went out and, fought his demons out there in the field. Now he's come back. He's got a compelling, hard-hitting, legit, real news uh, cable thing. And he's uh, uh, a kind and considerate lover and willing to make, uh, to make uh, okra. And, you know, he, he'll, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of that, you know, in many ways, kind of this perfect paragon. If they don't take any dings from him, I'm okay with that because I think there's a larger kind of emotional story thing where you say he's this near perfect guy and it's not right for Trish and what that says about her and what that says about, I don't know, unattainability. And I, I kind of like the negative spin that it gives, even though I want only the best for Trish. I mean, you, you can't argue with the romantic aspect of it, but is it too grand a gesture they pay specific attention to him talking to his buddies like this is almost a status thing. Matt, we have spoken and interacted with Hollywood types. 
that there's the same things you and I have in our non-Hollywood world that they have, but there's an expectation like, hey, for this christening or this thing, you you must do this. Is this like, all right, I've got to have a, an engagement of this caliber? I mean, yes, they're both famous people. We've seen the travails they've already gone through with the TMZ and the paparazzi and everything there. Is this some kind of smokescreen? I guess what I'm asking is, is he too perfect? Is he trying too hard to be too perfect? Why can't a, a dude just, uh, you know, uh, propose to his, his gal without her entire family, her extended family, and his dude bros. Well, if there's one thing to ding him, I will say, okay, it is this kind of nice gesture. Oh, let's let me propose in this kind of well-orchestrated way. But he says, jokingly, perhaps not, part of the reason I brought all these people here is to put pressure on you. You know, he's trying to box her in in a certain way. Um, Uncool? Which, that's definitely... I'm trying to box her in, that's definitely uncool. The fact that he's misread yeah. the situation, she doesn't want to get married, that that's that that's that 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 does uh, ding him slightly as well. But um I think too, if there's a little bit of a discussion in there in terms of the role of celebrity and oh, he has to make that he has to make the Instagram perfect engagement because that's what you have to do, because that's what you have to do. I mean, it refers back to what you're saying about some of this this Hollywood stuff where it's like yeah, I don't really have the money to do this, but I have to because if the first assistant director's girlfriend doesn't get an invite, then what's that? What are the ramifications going to be, you know, for my career? And some of that baloney where it's like, you know, just go go do a nice thing and get engaged, whether it's whether it's, you know, high splash or low splash, go do it privately, don't do it in this orchestrated thing. So, there you go, Pete. I found a way that I don't like Griffin that <laughs> square jaw and that <laughs> enchanting uh, uh accent and the the you know muscles and low body fat so there there you go he's dirt pete speaking of splashes matt we talk all the time about the interconnected nature of the marvel cinematic universe some people even write about it in an inaccurate way but uh our pal jeff Loeb, head of marvel tv talks all the time when we see him at the Paley Center at New York Comic Con about hashtag it's all connected and how much we remind him of that. Earlier this season, we saw a painting with an octopus on it. This episode is entitled The Octopus. Dave Kowecki likes to draw and is uh, enamored by and interested in octopuses is he secretly a member of Hydra? Don't wait for the translation. Answer the question now. Uh, no, no. I, I I will admit I was surprised at how deep the episode delved into that octopus metaphor. You know, uh, what's the line later on where it's like when they're wounded, they the just leg. leave a limb behind. The, the, yeah. They get rid of dead weight. Oh, and they're de Now, I will admit I'm not – I'm going to take them at what they said for the research. I'm actually quickly – looking at the, the Wikipedia here on <laughs> octopi, but like the notion that their DNA, I mean, I think I own it this way. I suspect it's probably a tad hyperbolic to say no one knows where their, where their uh, DNA came from. I mean, just looking so, somewhere there's all these spare octopi legs <laughs> in the bottom of the Mariana trench. 
slowly coming together. To, you know. <laughs> yes, to make mega octopus. While you're looking it up, Matt, I will take it even further. So you're telling me Kueki, not Hydra? Uh, no, not Hydra. Is the octopus in the aquarium Hydra? Uh, no, but I'll tell you this. I am 99% sure based on the perfection of that octopus that it was an effect shot just because it it does everything it needs to do on camera perfectly it didn't look fake I, it was just like almost too good um like i know you could train a dog to do that stuff i know you could train a cow to do that stuff but an octopus that i don't know um but um no i don't i don't think we see any 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 hydra we do see some mollusca and some cephalopoda <laughs> but uh but yeah um but i i did really dig just how and how deep they took that, especially down to, and I don't have it written down, but that Latin, you know, we're like, like no origin. Jessica Jones is no origin too, you know, like right. it was really, really Is she well Hydra? Done. She, Pete, I know you want Hydra <laughs> to come back. No Hydra. What do you mean come back, Hail Hydra? <laughs> uh, two more for me, Matt. Um, Trish is on this inhaler now. She's taken it once. She's come down violently ill after it. She's taken it again. Was she hooked after one hit? Well, she's going to tell everybody it's just it's just water vapor, and it's totally what the cool kids do now. But you know what, Pete? I'm here to say I think that there's some wacky stuff in there that does have her hooked, that does have her addicted. Um, we've had Malcolm... Obviously, with you know, with, with the heroin addiction in the first season, um, and then I, I think it's fairly out in the open. It's fairly obvious to say, or we can be confident to say that you know, here he is. That addiction has now been downgraded to a sexual one with a lot of one night stands. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how much you want to castigate him about that versus heroin and so on and so forth. I guess that's. That's for the After Dark podcast. But, um, again, this notion that we have him with addiction issues, Trish certainly tiptoeing on addiction issues, Jessica drinking problem. I mean, that's part of the reason why, you know, we have our cutesy emojis on Twitter. Like, I'm not doing the glass of liquor because, and as far as I'm concerned, Jessica Jones is an alcoholic, and that's not a fun thing. Um, but I guess just to sum up, you know, addictive problems all the way around here and then last from me matt of all the days that jess goes to the aquarium dr carl just happens to go on that day pete my notes read and i, and I know you know it from the uh from the recap here how um how, oh, where do I have it here? The exact wording I'm not seeing, but it's like she lingers and lingers and lingers and lingers and lingers there. I would even buy the idea when you have her sitting by the aquarium and, you know, janitor goes by. If you want to hide in there, oh, it then becomes the next day. Or if you want to say she was there 10 hours a day for several days, I would buy that. You could change her outfit past the leather jacket like she's got a different shirt on underneath i mean there's ways to do it it just and again it it's a quibble against this bonanza of a show we have in in jessica jones but it it just felt a little over convenient that oh and he has shown up 
to me, I just kind of read it as, I, I don't, let me put it this way, as a viewer watching with a careful eye, she there was a little fat in the episode where it's like, and she's hanging out and hanging out, and we're going to do dissolve and dissolve and dissolve to show the amount of time that she's been there. I was a little bored for those, you know, eight seconds or whatever. Not a huge complaint, but the point being, I feel like they really drew out the amount of time that she was there, so it wasn't an... an uh, an outfit change okay i'll grant you there that would have been a little uh, a little more nuanced but i think she just waited until he came by don't forget too pete he told uh david the janitor that he would go there for lunch every day so even if he's in semi-retirement every other day every three days you know it, it, it worked okay for me fair enough <laughs> Let's check our mail drop and hear what you have to say. Pete? Well, Matt, over on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, we got a note from Paul Wamsley. And he writes, Hi there. Love the podcast. I started listening about a year ago when I first got into the Netflix Marvel shows. So I thought it was about time to send a much-deserved like your way. However, it comes with a question and a confession. I only really like the Netflix shows in the Marvel Universe with one exception, Legion. And now for the question, why do you not include it in your podcast? Much respect, Paul from sunny Scotland. Ah, there you go. A constant joy, Pete, to hear from people, not just around the country, but around the world. Uh, humbling indeed. So, Pete, I'll put it to you. Why Why we know Legion? As I explained to Paul, um, there, I know there's a confusion out there because Legion is actually made with some cooperation from the Marvel TV side. You know, if you pay attention to any of the promotion, Jeff Loeb is, is out and, and doing that. However, it is not currently a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it is not a part of the story that we do. And those that listen to the Fantastic Geek f family of podcasts know that we do everything. We're the only ones uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all the shows, all the movies. And that is not one that's there yet. Uh, and when it's aired as well, we've it's not back on the air just yet, but when it will be airing, we will be on two shows. We were on two shows last spring, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Iron Fist. When it aired, we'll be on Jessica Jones and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when it airs again. So it, it is a little bit of a scheduling issue as well. We've both watched some of it, um, but yeah, it's not a fantastic podcast as of right now. <laughs> Fantastic with a PH. It may well can make for a fantastic with an F yes. show to podcast. Just <laughs> yeah, I think what's interesting about that, that that definer of MCU is sometimes it's like, good gracious, like what are we doing here? Where it's all this. I mean, Pete, it was this past fall where it was like Punisher and Inhumans and Get Ready for Shield, right? Like that was and whatever the November Marvel. We movie had was. a stretch, and this is and not Star Wars and 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 you know. Yeah, th this is not to this. This is not. Oh, you're poor podcasters. But we did go through a stretch uh, in December where we recorded a podcast every day for more than two weeks, uh, <laughs> prompting prompting Matt's daughter to utter the phrase. Pete makes the schedule. 
<laughs> which I just thought was the cutest thing ever. Because actually, I really don't. We discuss and and plug it in together. It's never we're broadcasting today. Oh, all right. Uh, I will drag myself to the computer and we will record a podcast. Because you know what we pride ourselves on is the reliability for our listeners and our fans as far as the product that we're going to provide. That you know we live in a world where something called pod fade exists uh it's not a fantastic geek thing it will never be a fantastic geek thing because when we set about to do something we do it we do it at a uh clear and consistent schedule and you're never going to need to wonder where it is like oh hey the show airs here and uh these many days out then you get the podcast that's not the situation that we work from if that's the situation that your podcast has that's great but i think that listeners realize that and they tend to go where they're going to get the clear and consistent uh product yeah i think the latest we might have ever gone with something is like recording a movie podcast on a sunday and uh yes you know sometimes i mean First of all, as far as I'm concerned, that still is fair game. You might have seen it Thursday night, so that's several Correct. days later. But that's like, a different situation. But the yeah. shows, you know, and, and the water cooler aspect of these TV shows, okay, you know, so the the show airs on a on a Tuesday night, and the idea, you know, when Shield was on a Tuesday night, we were podcasting, you know, if not Tuesday night, then the next afternoon and and you had it within 24 hours of the episode because people want to hear this. They want to be a part of the discussion. They want the analysis. And that's what we're here. That's why we exist. Particularly, you know, the Netflix shows exist in this blip. You, You could have finished all of Jessica Jones season two the day it came out. If you were so inclined, then now that's it for a year. Um, and then a different kind of blip, you know, is is the broadcast stuff where obviously it's meted out that it's only one a week. But, you know, we we well could be in the, the final stretch of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here, uh, though this is not the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. I'll mention anecdotally, you know, continue that continues to have super strong uh, DVR numbers. So, gee whiz, if ABC doesn't like it anymore, if only Disney had a streaming place that it could go to. Um <laughs> But, I mean, just point being, that's a show, too, where the clock could be ticking down on it. And also, like, not for nothing, there's a new episode each Friday. So if you haven't, if you're, take, if you're taking seven days to discuss the episode, well, that was so long ago that what good is that? So we try and keep up as best we can. I'd love to circle back to Legion at some point. You know, Pete, I think that one day when, when uh, I don't know, when there's more time in the MCU, maybe we do <laughs> looking back at Westworld when that has concluded its entire run and, you know, plenty of plans are down the line but right now the mcu is keeping us plenty darn busy absolutely and again this is all made possible by our patrons at patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n slash fantastic geek uh everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content and then there's all sorts of levels so if you want to create the podcast legion level we're there with you (laughs) Yeah, always appreciate appreciative of that support on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Uh, you know, particularly sometimes it takes takes a little bit of scheduling to get these podcasts out at the you know, at the uh, the speed which we promised them. There's always that extra oomph, you know, 
the entire listener family as a whole, and then the patrons there, both sides, both parts of, of the listener family, uh, urging us on. So we're always happy to, always happy to be keeping, keeping that uh, that calendar going the way it should go. Pete, the best thing though, always free. How can people talk with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K T L A R K E T E L A A R. 9,832 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be touched with the podcast anytime you like. Visit fantasticgeek.com. Email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. If you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be back talking more Jessica Jones soon. If you're listening to us on the Jessica Jones feed, we'll be back with more Jessica Jones soon. Pete, I'm loving doing all these episodes each week and uh, and still Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to boot and whatever other uh, you know breaking news might come along our way as well. Always a good time. With that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. It's better to let things go before they drag you down.